Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Come on, who's excited to be at Mission Church this morning? Come on. Uh, it's going to be a great morning at church. I'm excited. I don't know about you. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, come on. Uh, yeah, I'm, who, who put up their tree like before Thanksgiving? Just go ahead and wave at me. Who put up your tree already before Thanksgiving? All right, so my message today is actually on patience. Uh, just kidding, just kidding. No, it's just not, not okay. It's not okay. Um, we're going to put up our tree today, today. That's why we don't have youth tonight, actually, because we made an event. We're going to put up our tree in our, in our apartment. Uh, but uh, I am not, yeah, I'm not the guy that puts up their tree before Thanksgiving at all. No Christmas music. My wife Pray, pray for her as she deals with me and my heart, because uh, she asks all the time, and I just say no, um, and that's probably not good. Why am I still talking about this? Uh, I'm so excited to be with you this morning. Uh, before I get into the message, uh, do we love our pastors? Do we love our pastors, Tyler and Rachel? Amazing. Love our pastors. I say this anytime I get to preach that they're just not normal. They're just amazing, exceptional leaders. And it's such an honor for me and my wife to be a part of what's going on at Mission Church. Uh, And it's just been so amazing just this season we've been in. Um, And then one last thing, uh, we officially launched registrations for next year's summer camp, uh, Mission Youth. Come on. Uh, so if you're a youth student, you got to come to summer camp with us. We're going back to Mission Springs, running it back. Uh, it's going to be July 18th through 21st at Mission Springs. And then we have the early bird pricing all the way through the rest of the month. It's going to be $295. That covers everything. Uh, that's going to cover literally everything from transportation, uh, free merch to um, lodging, all the camp activities. It's going to be an amazing time. So you got to come to summer camp. It's going to be great. Uh, but this morning, uh, I'm super excited uh, to get to preach. Uh, is there anyone in here like me who's terrible with names? Like just terrible, just terrible with names. Okay, we're the people who are good at names. Like it's like, it's just a talent. It's a spiritual gift of yours. I don't have that. Uh, I'm terrible at names. So much so that if you ever walk up to me with like a group of people and you introduce me, I do my best to say your name as many times as possible. Like, because that's how I'll remember. So John, how you doing, John? What do you do for a living, John? How's your week going, John? Uh, What are you doing for lunch, John? John, 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 John. Uh, And then I'll do all of that, hopefully to not call you Bill the next time I meet you. Um, it still happens. Uh, so much so that my friends in college thought it was hilarious. They would bring me random people, whether I had met them or not, and they would ask me what their name is. Like, literally, I could have never met this person before in my life. Joe, what's their name? I don't know. Oh, we know you don't know. We're just messing with you. That's not funny. That's rude. That's rude and abusive. Don't do this. Um, but the reason why forgetting names is so awkward, the reason why it's, it's so intriguing is because it's very, very, very rough. It's very, very bad to be around someone, to be near someone in proximity, and yet not fully know who they are. It's very, very rough. It's very, very bad thing to where you're near someone, to where you're around someone, to where you're close to someone, and yet you still don't fully, fully know who they are. And yet the scary thing about doing Christianity and honestly our culture is that you can be around Jesus. You can go to church and hear about Jesus. You can sing songs to Jesus. You can hear someone talk about Jesus and yet still not fully know who Jesus is. 
yet still not fully have a relationship with Jesus, yet still not fully be able to know who Jesus is. So what we're going to talk about today, and this is only going to be a talk for maybe about 25 to 20, 20 to 25 minutes, but what we're going to talk about today is who is Jesus? Who is he? And the biggest quality that I think you have to know when we're talking about Jesus, when we're talking about his character, is you have to know, and this is the title of my message today, is Jesus is a forgiver. Jesus is a forgiver. I encourage our youth students, I always say uh, this, that if someone is talking at the stage and you're in your seats, uh, your phone should be out and you should be taking notes. Uh, So uh, you guys are adults, so I'm not going to say it, uh, but I guess I kind of did, secondhand. Uh, But you should be taking notes. We're going to take notes today, but that's the first thing. Because there's nothing worse than hearing something and you're like, man, I enjoyed that. Man, that was great. And then a week goes by and it's like, I have no idea what the person even said. There's nothing worse than that. So I'm going to encourage you, take notes today, uh, but that's going to be the title of the message. Jesus is a forgiver. And at the story today that we're going to be out of, what's happening is Jesus is preaching, Jesus is talking, and Jesus is in this moment where he's kind of like this, and what would happen is he would preach from uh, the Bible, he would preach from the Word, and then people would ask questions, people would respond. So Jesus is preaching, and people are excited, and people are leaning in, and, and Jesus has this reputation of being this guy who loves everyone, who will hang with anyone, who, who doesn't care who you are. He'll hang with you. He'll go to your house for dinner. So he's hanging, and, and they're talking, and he's preaching, and people's lives are being changed, and people are leaning in, and they're saying amen, and they're taking notes, and it's this amazing moment, and then all of a sudden, there's an interruption. There's an interruption, and, and it's this moment where he's, he's preaching, and, and everyone's locked in, and, and it's this amazing moment, and then all of a sudden, this group of men walk in, and, and they would have been called the Pharisees at this time. This would have been kind of the pastors in this moment, and they're walking in, and they're dragging this woman. So they're just dragging her. She's crying, and She's, she's wailing, and she's screaming, and she's dragging, and everyone, including Jesus, is probably processing, probably wondering, probably questioning, what is going on? This is an interruption. We're, we're trying to figure it out. What's, what's going on? What could possibly be happening? Imagining you're sitting in the crowd, and you have your coffee, and you sang some good worship, and, and you're hanging, and then all of a sudden, a group of men bring this woman to the front of the room, and she's crying. This is an interruption. Have you ever had an interruption in your life? to where things were going good, things were going amazing, things were going awesome, and then all of a sudden, things kind of took a turn. Things kind of took a shift. Things kind of went the way that you never truly expected them to go. This is an interruption. And what happens is in John chapter 8, it says, as he was speaking in the middle of his talk, in the middle of him speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Let's pray one more time before we get into the message. God, I thank you that you're a God that forgives us. That you're a God that loves us, that your love is reckless, that, that that means that it knows no bounds, that it says, hey, you might not deserve it, you didn't earn it, you did nothing to get this except for the fact that it was a gift to you. So we thank you, God, for the love that you give us, the fact that you are a forgiver, God. Do what only you can do. 
in Jesus' name. And everyone said? As I was kind of going over this message, I realized that as you get older, have you ever noticed that apologies change? Like your apologies as you get older change. So when you were a kid, when I was a kid, uh, there's this moment where you maybe made a decision, where maybe you were fighting with your siblings. I remember fighting with my siblings when I was little, and what would happen is like your parent or your guardian would make you apologize. And it's like, you would apologize, but you, like, in your brain had done nothing wrong. Like, literally, you were like, I didn't do anything wrong. Sorry. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. That's on you. I remember being in, like, the biggest fight with my siblings, like, in the middle of the church parking lot. And my mom coming out, like, what are you guys doing? Like, this is ridiculous. And then having to apologize and being like, well, it wasn't my fault. I wasn't the one that caused it, obviously. Like, I literally remember being a child and just realizing, okay, I'm apologizing, but I have no like sense of, oh, I've done something wrong. But then as you get older, what's very, very interesting is that, have you noticed that you have this like sense of like, oh no, I've done something wrong more, but you apologize a lot less. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? That like you, you realize, oh, I've done something wrong a lot more. I've made a mistake. You ever, maybe, maybe who's married in the house? Just wave at me, wave at me. Yeah, have you ever like known you were wrong, but just chose not to apologize? It's okay. This is a safe place. This is church. This is church. I tell our youth students we're in a planet, planet fitness church, no judgment zone, like literally no judgment zone whatsoever. Uh, so I, I really was like Googling this and I was like, okay, what are the different type of ways that people apologize uh, when they know they're wrong, but they don't want to apologize? And and some of the ones that I found that if I'm being honest, uh, it's okay if you use all of these because I I have in my life. Uh, The but I apology, I'm sorry, but I was really tired. I'm I'm sorry, but I had a long day. I remember one time, uh, I, I'm just going to out myself. I uh, left the fridge open overnight, like the day Paige had bought groceries. Uh, I know, stop. And, and even the next day, stop, stop. I was debating whether I was going to share that or not. Not sharing that next service. Uh, so I literally like left the fridge open and Paige is like, babe, the, the food, like we just bought all of this food. And I like had known that I did something wrong. I'm sorry. I was just so tired from preaching the word. I was just so exhausted. Stop, stop, stop. Don't do that. The but I apology. We've all been there. We've all been there. I was wrong. Uh, the blame apology. Have you ever like apologized, but like you really said what the other person did wrong? I'm sorry that you got so angry. I'm sorry that you're so frustrated. I'm sorry you feel that way. Like, I'm sorry that it's all on you. Or the conditional apology. Uh, the I'm sorry, but I'm waiting to hear if you apologize. Like, I'm sorry. I said I'm sorry. Oh, you're not going to say it back? Cool. Sounds good. Like, the conditional apology. Uh, has anyone ever done the evaporating apology? Like, I'm going to say sorry, but I'm only going to say it once. Like, I'm sorry, what? I'm not saying it again. Like, I'm not. I'm apologizing. Uh, Or this is how, like, (laughs) this is funny. This is how, like, if you're married, if you're in the room, uh, this is how you apologize when, like, you maybe had a fight and it lingered, uh, but you don't want to apologize again. This is how you apologize. This This is how I apologize, at least. Like, you start, like, offering things just randomly. All right. Are you hungry? Do you want anything? Do you want to watch this? You sure? You want, you want to go get some ice cream? That's, that's an apology. That's an apology right there. Are you, are you hungry? 
Yeah, that's an apology. Uh, but what's very, very interesting is that we all can agree how you respond, right? How you respond when you make a poor decision matters. Do we all agree with that? Wave at me if you agree with that. Do you agree with that? Yes, yes, yes. How you respond when you make a poor decision matters. But what I think is even more important to understand is how does Jesus respond when you make a poor decision? How does Jesus respond when you make a poor decision? So we have this moment where the Pharisees have brought this woman to Jesus. They have brought her to Jesus and they've said, Jesus, the law of Moses, the law says that if you were caught in the act of adultery that you should be stoned, but what do you say? But what do you say? The Bible even tells us they were trying to trap him. Well, how do we know that they were trying to trap Jesus? Well, what was the law that they were referring to? So the law of Moses would have been like their Bible. It would have been their law. It would have been what they believed in, what they fought for. So this would have been their law. But how do we know that they were trying to trap him? The Bible says in Deuteronomy 20, 22, 22, this is what they would have been referring to. It says, if a man is caught having sexual relations with a married woman, both the man who had relations with the woman and the woman herself must die. In this way, you will purge evil from Israel. So how do we know this was a trap? Well, first of all, both parties were supposed to be brought. So the man was nowhere to be found. So we know that this was a trap. How else do we know this was a trap? Well, actually, in the Roman government, which they would have been under the Roman law, you were not supposed to bring a person like this to a priest. You could not just do an execution. Jesus did not even have the legal authority to be like, yes, you should stone her. She actually had to be brought to a judge. She actually had to be brought to somewhere else. All of them would have been charged for murder. So Jesus didn't even legally have the position in this time to make the call that they're trying to have him make, which shows me that this is not a question of law. This is not a question of what is right and what is wrong. This is actually a question of tolerance. Jesus, how far are you willing to go for this whole friend of sinners thing? How far? How far are you willing to go? How, what's the farthest? What's, how far can you really go? Jesus, what do you say? Because the law says that she should die. The law says that we should stone her. The law says that she should be punished. But Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? This is the biggest question that I get from people all the time. The Bible says this, but, but what is the church's stance on it? The Bible says this, but how does Jesus feel about it? The Bible says this, but what is the position that's being held? Jesus, what do you say? What I find very interesting is that the first thing that Jesus says in this entire story is nothing. It's the first thing he says, nothing. Jesus says nothing to her. Jesus doesn't even address the men, but what's the first thing he does? He stoops down to her. It's the first thing he does. Jesus does not say anything to her, but what's the first thing he does is he stoops down to her. And in this culture, a Jewish man is never, ever supposed to, of Jesus's stature, he's never supposed to be at the same level, at the same eye level of a Jewish woman. So Jesus stoops down to her. This is important. This is important to understand. This is important to realize. Why? Because point number one, what is the first thing that Jesus does when he forgives us is Jesus meets us where we are. Jesus meets us where we are. He stoops down to where she is. Jesus, this great teacher, this great preacher, this great man, this great person, this great healer does not stand to the level of the Pharisees, but he stoops to the level of the sinner. 
He doesn't rise. He doesn't boast in his authority. He doesn't boast in his power. He doesn't boast in all that he is. But what does he do? He stoops down to the level of the sinner saying, hey, before I say anything to you, I need you to understand that I'm with you. Before I say anything to you, before I address what you have done, I need you to understand that you're in my presence. In your life, in my life, what's going to happen is that you're going to have moments where you feel like you're in a place of shame. You're going to have moments where you feel like you're in a place of condemnation, where you feel like you're in a place of guilt. But the biggest thing that you have to remember is that you are not in those places alone. The biggest thing you have to remember is that you're not in those places by yourself. Why? Because Jesus meets you where you are. Jesus walks with you where you are. Jesus stands with you where you are. David even says in Psalms, what does he say? He says, if I go to the heavens, you'll meet me there. If I make my bed in hell, there you are. Why? Because no matter where I go, I cannot escape the presence of an omnipresent God. Wherever I am, no matter what I have done, Jesus meets me where I am. That's a good time to clap. Put your hands together. Praise God. No matter what you have done, Jesus meets you where you are. And as the story continues, it says they were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. See, what you have to understand is that the Pharisees were known for adding things to the law in order to satisfy their ego. It's what they were known for doing. It's what they did a lot. Jesus actually talked about this a lot, that the Pharisees would add to the law. They would add to the Bible, not in order to be more righteous, but in order to satisfy their ego. So what they've now done is they've brought this woman to Jesus, and the whole point behind it is to prove, hey, Jesus, you're not morally on our level. It's the whole point. Jesus, you're not morally on our level. You're not religiously on our level. We are on a higher level than you. That is why they have now brought him, them, this woman to Jesus. So Jesus responds. So they're badgering him. Jesus, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? And Jesus' response is, let he without sin cast the first stone. What's very interesting is that this phrase does not mean let he who's never made a mistake cast the first stone. What he's actually saying is whoever's conscience allows it. If your conscience allows it. If your conscience allows you to continue in this charade. If this conscience allows you to continue in what you were doing, then go ahead Be my guest. And what's interesting is that these men begin to process their own shortcomings. They begin to process what they have done. They begin to process their own motive behind what they are doing and what happens. They all begin to walk away. Can you imagine the reality check? Can you imagine the process of I've worked so hard? I've given everything I have to being perfect, to being at a certain level, to being at a certain status, to achieving something, and yet in a moment, I feel as though I'm not enough. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there to where you work so hard? You work so hard to get the house. You work so hard to have the perfect family. You work so hard to get that promotion, the job, everything that you've worked for, and then yet in a moment, all it took was one thing, one mistake, one decision, one poor choice, and all of a sudden, I wish I was further along. I wish I was just further along. I wish I had more. And what happens? They walk away from Jesus. Let he without, Jesus didn't say leave. 
but they walk away from Jesus. They've worked so hard. They've tried so hard. They've strived so hard. And yet what I love about Jesus is point number two. When you're struggling, when you're maybe in a position like this, Jesus brings you rest. Jesus brings you rest. How do I know? The Bible says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, it says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Weary and burdened, what does this mean? Who is he talking to? When you're reading the Bible, a lot of it, yes, is for you and me, but what you have to process is, okay, who is he talking to in this time? Who is he talking to in this culture? Who is he talking to when he said this? And who he was talking to was people who were weary and burdened by the laws that the Pharisees have added. That's specifically who he's talking to. He's saying, hey, if you're weary, if you're burdened by the law, if you're burdened by your own works, if you're burdened by trying so hard, come to me and I will give you rest. If you're tired of striving, if you're tired of working, if you're tired of trying to measure up to the pressure of perfection, come to me and I will not add to this yoke, but I will give you rest. And what does he say? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what is a yoke? What, what is a yoke? A yoke, I actually sent in a picture of what a yoke would have been. Jesus, because he was talking to farmers, would have, they would have known what this is. But a yoke is actually a device like this. And what it does is it brings two animals close together so that they can have a lighter load that they're carrying. So that's what it does is it brings these animals together. It keeps them attached so that both of them are sharing the load. So what Jesus is saying is, hey, come to me, come close to me and I will give you rest. And a lot of times you and I will see this and we'll think, okay, well, this must mean that me and Jesus are sharing the load. (laughs) Hilarious. (laughs) What's actually going on is that we think that, okay, well, me and Jesus, I'm on one side, Jesus is on the other, I'm working really hard, I went to church, I read my Bible, I did my prayer time. Me and Jesus, we're really sharing the load. What this actually is a picture of is me all the way over here and Jesus carrying the load by himself, saying, hey, I know that you are tired, I know that you are weary, I know that you are struggling, but come to me and I will not put my yoke upon you, but I will give you rest but I will give you rest, but I will give you hope, but I will give you a future. The goal of the law, this is what you have to understand, the goal of the law, the goal of the Bible was not to strive, it was to bring you rest. The goal of the law is not to make you work harder, it's to bring you rest. It's to bring you to grips with your sin. Why? So that you come to Jesus and he will give you rest. What's very interesting about this is that we have two people who are brought to grips with their sin. A lot of times we only talk about the women. The Pharisees are brought to grips with their sin. What does he say? He without sin casts the first stone. So Jesus has now brought them to terms with their sin. This woman was brought into a crowd, publicly embarrassed. She was caught in the act. She has been brought to terms with her sin. Two people are brought to terms with their sin. Two groups of people, but only one found forgiveness. And the only one that found forgiveness in this moment were not the ones that left to go continue and work but it was the one that stayed and continued in rest. So you have to understand is that forgiveness and walking with Jesus and having a relationship with God is not going to happen by works, but it's going to be happened by staying close to Jesus and continuing in rest. What I love about this is that our job as the church is not to throw stones. 
Our job as a church is not to cast stones, but it's actually to provide a place for hurting, broken people like you and like me to come together and say, yes, I don't have it all figured out. Yes, I am still struggling. Yes, I still have a lot of questions, but I will come to Jesus where I can find rest. And as I invite the band up and we begin to close, told you guys 25 minutes. I got you, 25 minutes. The story ends. And it says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. I love this. Only Jesus was left. He cleared everyone else out. One of the biggest things you're going to have to do in your life, my life, is learn how to clear things out. You're going to have to clear out the outside noise. You're going to have to clear out because what happened was no, they were still able to talk about her. They were still able to throw stones, but what happened? No, Jesus cleared them out until only he was left. In your life and my life, only Jesus has to be left. And he's in the middle, middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Uh, just wave at me if you've ever taken uh, any type of AP class, any type of AP class. Okay, so I uh, was not the AP student growing up. Uh, I graduated with a solid B average, and Bs get degrees. Uh, but I don't say that to your students, so don't. <laughs> I don't. Now that I have the degree, 4.0, that's it. That's it. Nothing less. Don't you dare settle, students. Uh, but I remember I moved to Florida my senior year and I was really just trying to figure out classes and senior year can kind of go two ways. Uh, you can either like stock up on AP classes, right? And you can like, okay, I'm trying to prepare myself for college. Uh, I really want to make sure that I, I get into my dream school. I want to make sure that I'm fully, fully prepared. Or uh, you can take three PE classes, uh, be a teacher's assistant for video production uh, and chemistry. That's it. That was the only chemistry in English. That was it. So I go to my advisor and my advisor is like, Joe, you cannot take four PE classes. And, and me just being a senior in high school, I'm like, why? Like, why are you attacking me? Let me live my life. Let me live my life. So like, man, I'm such a victim in this age, man guidance counselors, school lunch, what are we doing? Um, so she's like, okay, well, I have to add classes. I have to, I have to take some of these classes away. So what she does is she says, okay, I, I see that you were in Spanish one. I see that you were in Spanish two. How do you feel about taking AP Spanish? And, and I'm like, all right, uh, Let's go for it. Why not? Why not? Now, I loved Spanish 1. I loved Spanish 2. So I'm, I'm excited. I'm fired up. I can't wait. Like, I love learning about other cultures. I love it, love it, love it. So I go, and, and what I forgot to tell her was I had really only retained, like, two phrases. Uh, Hola, me llamo Joe. Hi, my name is Joe. Donde esta el baño? Where's the bathroom? That's, that was it. That was it. 
so now that I've taught you those two phrases, you now are qualified for AP Spanish in the school system. Got me. Uh, so I get to class, and, and it's this moment where kids, I walk in, and kids are already talking in Spanish. Like, I'm like overachievers. Like, seriously, class hasn't even started yet. The teacher comes in, and, and she's nice, and she's, and she's there, and, and she says this statement, and it shook me to my core. I'm like, it, I, I still honestly have anxiety and PTSD about it. She says, I know I'm speaking in English now, but don't worry. I'm only going to be speaking in Spanish for the rest of the year. Worried, worried, extremely worried. So she then starts going up and down like the classroom, kind of like in, in snake form. And, and she's speaking to kids in Spanish and they're responding. And, and I have no idea what they're saying, like at all. And I'm so upset. Like, I'm like, what is going on? Um, and she gets to me. And she says something, I, I begin to realize, oh, she's asking people how their summers were and they're like full on responding in Spanish. These kids, kids were way more qualified than I was. Like, so they're, they're full on responding in Spanish, talking fluent Spanish, perfect Spanish. So I'm like, okay, what am I gonna do? I have a decision to make. So I'm sitting there and she gets to me and she says something. I have no idea what she said to this day. And I look back at her, confused. And, and she keeps looking at me. She says it again. So she says it again. And I'm like, okay, I have to say something. So I sit there. And then she starts looking at me like, oh, this, this guy has no idea what is going on. Like that look, like if you're a teacher in the room, you know that look. Like you try to hide that look, but we still see that look. I want you to know that. We see it. We see it, Mike T. We see it. We see it. So I look at her. And she gives me this confused look. And I'm like, Joe, you have to say something. You have to. So I look at her and I stand up and I look her in the eye and I say, hola, me llamo Joe, donde esta el baño? She says, this is a true story. She says, down the hall to the right, I walked out, never went back, literally, never went back to the class. Never went back to the class. You could have told me that class was in Narnia. I'd have to believe you. Like, I don't even know if that class fully existed. Did I dream this whole, I don't, like literally, I never went back. I never, I never went back. But I remember sitting there. I remember sitting there and everyone is around and everyone's there and everyone's talking and everyone's having a good time. And I'm the new kid. And I remember sitting there and having this moment. I remember having this, this moment of, I, I just feel like I don't belong. Like, I remember having this moment of like, I, I just feel like I don't really belong here. I feel like I'm not supposed to be here. Everyone else knows more, more Spanish than me. Everyone else has more friends than me. Everyone else has been at the school longer. They actually can respond when the teacher's talking. I feel like I don't really belong. And I would question in a room like this, especially this size, if you walked in and the first thing that you felt was, I feel like I don't belong. I don't really know the songs. I don't, I don't really know the Bible. I don't really know who Jesus is. I don't really know what's going on. I just kind of came here because my family invited me. I'm just in town for the holidays. I, I feel like I don't belong. 
And there's this moment in this story where I, I can imagine this woman is sitting here and she's like, what do I do? What do I do? Where do I go? I've just been dragged in front of a crowd. I have been embarrassed. I have, they, are, they are here. Everyone's looking at me. Imagine the conversations at the water cooler the next day. I feel like I don't belong. And Jesus looks at this woman and, and he says, woman, where, where are the people that accused you? Where are they? Where are the people that condemned you? Can I tell you something this morning? Cancel culture was around way before like 2020. Except when you got canceled in Bible times, you died. Like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm getting canceled. They unfollowed me. No, no, no. In Bible times, you died. Like that's, it's way worse. <clears throat> Where are the people that canceled you? Where are the people that condemned you? Where are the people that said you no longer could be here? I don't know. They're, they're gone. Has no, one, has no one condemned you? No. Well, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Just, just go and sin no more. I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. I give you another chance. Go and sin no more. I love the way that this is even translated. Some translations even say, leave your life of sin. They don't just say, go and say no more. They say, leave your life of sin. Can I say something that I heard a pastor say? We have to stop reading the Bible as if God is a high school football coach. This is not a, go and sin no more, or else you're going to go on the line. Go and sin no more. Come on. What are you doing? Figure it out. No, this is a plead. This is an invitation. Leave this life of sin. Leave this life that leaves you feeling empty. Leave this life that leaves you feeling as though you, you have no confidence. Leave this life that has you wondering, will my kids even respect me if they know what was going on? Leave this life that has you questioning, is my marriage going to even make it if I continue? Leave this life of sin. Go and sin no more. This is not a coach talking to a player. This is a father talking to his daughter. Please leave this life of sin. I have so much better for you. I have so much better for you, so much more life, so much more hope, so much more joy. How do I know Jesus is a forgiver? Because point number three, Jesus gives another chance. He gives her another chance. This is so important. This is probably the most important part of the message, what you have to understand. Jesus gives her another chance. He says, all right, you're right. Someone has to pay for her sin. Someone. You're right. You see, what's very interesting about this moment is they have put Jesus in a trap, but it's a very good one. Because if Jesus sides with the Pharisees, he can no longer be a person of grace. But if he sides with the woman, he can no longer be a person of truth. You see, if I side with the, with the Pharisees, well, what kind of friend of sinners is that? that without even going through the legal authorities, he would authorize the execution of a woman who has made a poor decision? What kind of friend of sinners is that? But then he also cannot side with the woman because if I side with her, well then what is he doing condoning a life that is destroying her? 
He's condoning a life that is killing her, a life that is hurting people, hurting her marriage, hurting families, hurting the people around her. So Jesus is in a predicament. So he says what? Someone has to die. That's, that's what the Bible says. That's what the law says. You're right. Someone has to pay. But where you got it wrong was that it's not going to be her, but it's going to be me. She gets another chance. You thought you were going to execute her? Well, you're actually going to execute me. She gets another chance. You thought that you were going to bring her to the end of her life, but you were actually going to bring her to the beginning of her life, to a man that would love her, to a man that would cherish her, to a man that would care for her, to a man that would restore her, to a man that would send her on her way and say, leave this life of sin, go and sin no more. So what does this mean for you and me? Why does this matter? Why does this matter? Why does some random woman being forgiven 2,000 years ago affect you and me? Because this week there's going to be a moment in your life, in my life, where you're going to be at a moment where you were brought to terms with your sin. And you're thinking, well, no, 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 not me. Yes, 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 you. Yeah, you. You're going to be brought to terms with your sin. You're going to be brought to terms and you're going to process, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have did that. I shouldn't have responded that way. And in this moment, you're going to have a choice. The same choice as the Pharisees and the same choice as the woman. Will you leave or will you stay? Will you walk away or will you stay? Will you walk away into the same burdens, the same yoke, the same striving, the same work? No, 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 I got it, God. We'll figure it out. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'll figure it out. Or are you going to stay broken, hurting, just let God, I got nothing else for you. And what will happen? He will forgive you and say, go and sin no more. Why? Because Jesus is a forgiver. It's who he is. It's what he does. It's his character. It's who he is. And because of that, we now can have new grace, new mercy, and new love. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet? We're going to close this morning. <clears throat> We ask this question every single week here at Mission Church. And if you're here, I'm gonna ask it a little bit differently than I normally do, but if you're here and you want forgiveness, the Bible actually tells us in Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God, you will be saved and you will be forgiven. That's our role. What's our role in this yoke? How do we push forward the gospel? How do we push? We confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And Jesus does the forgiving. And if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give you the opportunity to do that. I'm just going to count to three. I'd love for you to just wave at me. If that's you on the count of three, just wave at me. One, two, three. It's awesome. I see you. I see you. I see you. It's awesome. It's awesome. Give you a couple more seconds if that's you. It's awesome. It's awesome. <clears throat> you guys can put your hands down. Well, I'm going to pray, uh, and then Mike T is going to close. Uh, repeat after me. We say this prayer every single week. It's called the sinner's prayer, and the reason we pray it is because we believe that we're all sinners saved by grace. So repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, dear Jesus, come into my life. Make me brand new. Forgive me of my past. I choose today to make you Lord of my life for the rest of my life. And God, I thank you that your word tells us that we are new creations, that the old has passed away and that the new has come. So I thank you for moments like this that remind us that we're not just new, but we're made new by your grace. 
made new by your mercy, made new by your love. God, I thank you that above all else, you're a forgiver. That above all else, your character says, have you made some decisions? That's okay, I have died for them. Go and sin no more. That you did not dismiss our sin, you died for our sin. That you do not just excuse our sin, no, but you paid the ultimate sacrifice for it, that you said they're worth it. And because of that, we can now have free relationship. We couldn't earn it, so you gave it to us. We couldn't do anything for it, so you gave it to us. So I pray, God, that we do not live as though we are unforgiven, that we do not live as though we have to push the yoke by ourselves, but you have said, come to me, all who are weary. Are you weary? Are you tired? Are you burdened by the law? Are you bent out on religion? Come to Jesus, and he will give you rest. Your yoke is easy, and your burden is light. We thank you for that. Do what only you can do in our church, in our lives, God, as we remember every single day, you're a forgiver. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, come on, can we put our hands together for that this morning? Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.